had a big head, rounded ears, six feet in the body maybe, with a very, very long tail, very muscular build. As it was walking, it was, it was still looking at me, and that's when I really panicked. It looked at me and thought, oh, oh, there's a human there, I'm not scared. You say, well, I've seen this big cat, and some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size. I heard this growl behind me. Nothing like a dog's growl. And just like anything else in life, you're sat on your own there. I don't care who you are, how brave you are. Something like that will put the shivers up your spine. As she was walking before the cub came out, she flicked this tail. She literally flicked it in the air. And I simply could not believe what I was seeing. It was the most extraordinary feeling. It threw its head back, he said, and it made this sort of round. But when you actually realise that there are big cats living in Britain, it changes everything. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. Why are unofficial big cats being seen, and could these cats even be naturalising without us knowing? If you've had a big cat encounter in Britain and would like to discuss it, email me at rick at bigcatconversations.com. You can find other episodes on the website bigcatconversations.com. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello, and welcome to episode three of Big Cat Conversations. In this episode, we have four different snippets from a summer tour of Exmoor and its hinterland, and we're going to focus on the beast of Exmoor. We're going to visit Exmoor Zoo, where they have black leopards, pumas and Eurasian lynx, the three main candidates of big cats seen in Britain. We're going to meet some visitors who were at the North Devon show when I had my big cat information stand there in August. And then we're going to learn about the late Trevor Beer, who recorded and wrote about big cats in Devon and Exmoor. And he was one of the leading lights in considering what the beast of Exmoor was and how it originated. We begin our tour at Exmoor Zoo in the afternoon by the Black Leopards. Okay, well, we've just finished the big cats talk at the leopard enclosure at Exmoor Zoo. And I'm joined by Ariane, who's the carnivore keeper here. Ariane, you've actually had an encounter with um, one of these cats in the wild. Can you tell us all about it? When did it happen? What did you see? And what? What? Uh, and I gather your dog was with you, so can we hear about the dog's reaction as well? It was late one night in January of this year. It was between 9 and 10 o'clock at night, and I was walking my dog down a country lane down to our local church. And on the side of the lane is farmland, which then stretches on to moorland. And... Um, Then my dog suddenly started really aggressively deep growling and my dog is a real sweetheart and I've never heard this kind of sound come out of him before. So I was quite shocked and I started shining my torch around thinking perhaps I'd come across a badger or a fox and then suddenly at the end of my torch beam I saw this great big cat just jump down from the hedge, cross the road and up over the gate into the farmer's field. Now, from what I saw of it, it was a puma. It had a, quite a thick, bushy tail. It had very muscular shoulders and the typical puma-shaped head. Not as long in the muzzle as a leopard would be. So quite a short face, which is, to me is a telltale sign it was a puma. Um, the colouring as well, I couldn't see it crystally clear because it was quite dark. But I could tell it wasn't black. It was a grey browny colour, which again is a telltale sign. It's a puma. So obviously I was very shocked and shaken. And as soon as I sort of gathered my thoughts and recontrolled my dog, I went very hastily home. We've got, excuse the background noises from the zoo here, but um, that's some um, occupational hazard here, of course. Um, but how did it compare to the scale of the adult pumas here? Was similar size? Yes. I would definitely say it was very similar to Nico. 
maybe a bit leaner because it would be a wild animal which is a lot more active than our cats here at the zoo but very similar size and mm. muscular so four to five feet in the body nose to rump yes and did you see the tail well at all i saw the tail quite clearly it must have been about a meter long maybe a bit longer and thick did the animal see you was it a, how aware of you and your dog was it do you think I think it knew we were there. It didn't look at us. It just kind of, it's ear flicked in our direction, but it was tunneled vision straight over the gate. Do you think it was travelling from A to B or do you think it was on the scout for rabbits or or um, deer or something? I'm, I'm going to say time of night, it might have been on the lookout for some food, but who's to know? Sure, sure. Um, had you heard about recent reports? Had, you, had there been any gossip locally about a big cat? I'd never really heard any in the village that I live in. Um, no, which is, you know, fairly standard. Mm. <laughs> Not a lot of people like to talk about sightings that they've seen through fear of being taken the mickey out of. Sure. And um, I've not really talked to anyone about it myself because in the area I live, it's very hunty. And I do worry that someone's going to go out there and try and find it and hurt it. Mm. Interestingly, though, I would say that some of the informants um, that I'm in contact with are, have a hunting background. And, and most of those are actually, I find, very tolerant oh, okay. um, and secretive about the cats for the same reasons. So. Yeah. What about you being a sort of a zoo uh, specialist on carnivores and big cats and actually seeing one in the wild? Do people say, oh, that's terribly convenient and should we believe you? You're making it up to promote your own job and the Beast of Exmoor brand at Exmoor Zoo. Yes, sometimes I do get people saying that to me and thinking, you know, it's very convenient that you happen to have seen one when you work with these cats at work. I just say to them, you know, they can believe what they want they can listen to what I have to say and make their own decisions. But, you know, I work with these cats on a daily basis. I know what I saw. Mm. And you saw one at a time of day, which is their sort of optimum time, really. We have a lot of witness reports at that time, at yeah. sort of late dusk, and that's when they would be active. OK, final question, Arianna. We, this is something we ask to all or most um, guests on the podcast series, and there's no wrong answer, whatever you think. What do you personally think about big cats like leopards and black leopards and pumas being out in the wild in the British countryside? I don't see it as an issue. <laughs> I mean, we don't have any large predators in this country anymore to naturally take out the deer population. So I actually think they're beneficial. They wouldn't hurt a human unless they were silly enough to corner one or try and hurt the cat themselves. So I don't see them as a threat. And also from my experience over in Africa I know how difficult it is to see a leopard when you're looking for one so the chances of you actually coming across one in the UK where there's far less of them is very slim Thank you very much indeed Ariane, um, we'll keep in touch with Exmoor Zoo through the podcast series, I'll no doubt visit again but for now, many thanks indeed Ariane. Word of the week this episode is in fact two words, a term confirmation bias. It's something that we're all guilty of perhaps throughout all our lives and something that we do perhaps every day if we buy a local newspaper or a national newspaper we tend to choose the one that reinforces our own views and our own values. So when we're studying an unusual subject like big cats we've got to be extra cautious about how we scrutinize the evidence and try to rule out the sort of excitement and the natural interest we have in the topic when we look at a photo or look at a dropping or whatever kind of evidence we're investigating. So it's really a cautious note to all of us to 
be careful and remain objective as we assess information and assess evidence on whatever subject, but particularly something as intriguing and unusual and controversial as big cats in the British countryside. So there's your word of the week or term of the week, confirmation bias. Okay, well, we're halfway through the North Devon show on a blustery August afternoon, and I'm with Stuart, who's arrived, and Stuart's uh, based in Barnstable in North Devon, and he's a retired butcher, and he's had two major sightings in the past. He's going to explain a time when he saw two black ones together. So, Stuart, could you explain what happened? Yes, uh, I was up the top of Holstone Down uh with a farmer picking out Devon cattle and also an assistant with me from my shop, uh, Richard, who wanted to learn the trade. And uh, we picked out some Devon cattle and we suddenly came to our attention across the valley in a small field. The, the flock of sheep there were really spooked. And then we saw two black cats, big black cats about the same size, that picked out a sheep and a lamb and cornered it in the corner of the field and were about to attack. Uh, we all three of us shouted as loudly as we could across the valley and the cats gave up the chase then and went away. But it was remarkable sighting for us, you know, to see that. Incredible. Did you instantly know that they were something different, not dogs or whatever? Oh, yes. Yeah, you could see quite plainly they were cats. Quite plainly, the way they moved and, uh, and they were really working as a team. And then I spoke um, to Trevor Beer, uh, one of our local coordinators of Exmoor sightings uh, a few days later and he corroborated my story he said that when he was out in that area recently that he had come very close to similar cats only only uh, sort of quarter of a mile away mm. and also another local farmer um, who farmed in the farm next door when I told him about the sighting he said that he had found one of his sheep um, carcasses stripped to the bone halfway up a tree so that certainly pointed to cat activity. The um, the sheep that you observed, did they know what was happening? Well, uh, they knew they were in danger, yes, 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 because, uh, uh, you know, the, the, these two cats singled out the one sheep and a lamb that probably weren't so quick on their feet, and, and the other sheep fled to the other as far as ways they could. How far away were they from, was this incident from you as you observed? Oh, I would say um, about oh, 500 metres, five 600 metres. Okay, you had a good vantage. Yes, we had a perfect vantage point because we were on one side of the valley looking immediately across at a field in a very steep valley, you know. So, um, mm. yes, it was uh, really phenomenal. Uh, you know, I'll never forget it. it was, uh, yeah. What scale uh, cats were they? What, what Compared to, say, a Labrador dog or a German Shepherd dog, would you would you judge? Oh, yeah, or bigger than a Labrador, yeah. Yeah, they were quite long with long tails, you know. And they did notice you in the end? Uh, well, they heard us shouting, yes. Obviously, our shouting... Uh, was effective? Effective, yes. Yeah, yeah interesting. They, they, what did yeah. they do after you shouted? Well, they, they, they fled from the direction from which they came, out, out, of the, out of the tree cover, like, or out of the shrub. And uh, the colour was what? Jet black. Jet black, yeah. Jet black, definitely, yeah. How, how long did that take in, in, in total? Well, I suppose we were watching them for what? Probably um, four or five minutes. Yes, Okay, excuse the background noise as we move. We're in, in, in the big tent now where the big cat display is. Firstly, I think they were in amongst the flock of the sheep and we just wondered what the sheep were going mad over there and we wondered what, what on earth was going on there. Yeah. And, uh, and then they suddenly singled, singled out, you know, they were doing, working as a team, singled out the Very sheep. Very interesting, because this is quite rare, Stuart, as, as you might appreciate, of two people seeing two together yeah. and, and actually predating in a predation event. And as a butcher, did you have much contact with people in and around Exmoor who uh, did see... Did you ever get yourself rep uh, reports and comments about people seeing yes, cats? Yes, uh, I had a cousin who lived over at North Malton, and he'd had quite a few sightings, because they were forming... He and his son were farming just outside North Malton, and they'd seen um, uh, cats on, on a few occasions. What colour? Uh, they were brown. Yes, and possibly mountain lion, cougar, puma ones. Yes, yeah. And when I was delivering, well, to my cousin, I was coming up the back road from Easy Mill one evening when it was just getting dark, and a brown cat leapt out over the hedge and ran down the road in front of me for about 200 yards or so, and then disappeared again over the hedge. And uh, the time I got my camera out, he was clean gone, you know. Yes. 
What, what did you see? Any any key features of that? Well, no, because it was nearly dark, but he was he was definitely um, fairly well, an adult cat, you know, quite sizable mm. and uh, with a long tail. And he was definitely bothered and spooked by your presence, by your vehicle, and. Well, I don't think he was realised I was there. You know, he came over the hedge and, and started trotting down the road, and um, I tried to follow along as inconspicuously as I, as I could, but once he realised I was there, you know, he was gone. Having had those experiences, do you have a view personally about big cats living in the wild? Well, um, they're not really uh, sort of Exmoor um, bred, are they? These cats, I assume, have been let out by, um, by somebody you know, irresponsibly, really, haven't they? And now they're breeding, you know. Yes. Um, obviously, they must be a nuisance to the farmers if they're killing sheep. Um, it, it's sort of a real thrill to see them, but whether they actually belong on Exmoor, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, you know. I, yeah. I wouldn't like to see them being shot as such. And I know the army at one time spent some, some time at there trying to track them down, which... Yes, in the 80s. Yeah, and I, I gather th- uh, an outpost of three Marines did claim to see one and did claim to take a shot at one and they don't know what the end result was you know with your own domestic cat if he doesn't want to be found you can't find him yeah so you're sort of a bit torn about it uh, in yes, a way yes. you see but all sides of the yeah. issue but now, i've had several um, not heated um, discussions with people who said well oh, exmoor beast is a load of rubbish there's no no such thing when i said there there certainly is there's certainly out there i think you probably realize you were extremely lucky to get that kind of um uh, observation and had to have two sightings as well is very oh, unusual absolutely and see them in action at two of them like that you know um, you could um, see they were well versed in in getting their prey if you know what I mean in that in that manner you knew Trevor Beer because I mean we want to sort of pay tribute to Trevor's work as a as a sort of recorder and advisor of on big cats in in Exmoor so you you sort of knew him well I didn't know him well but our paths would cross because my wife and I were Often walk, walking Exmoor Pass and, and, that, and we'd see Trevor and always interested in what he wrote in the local papers and, and I'd ring him up from time to time and we'd have a discussion about things that we might have seen. Yeah. And uh, yes, it was, uh, I admired his work. What, what year was that, Stuart, that your, your two black ones were? My memory, so I would say it's about uh, 1996, I would say, somewhere around there. Okay, yeah, so a long time ago, but, you know, cats are still being seen in and around Exmoor today. Stuart, that's really helpful. Really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of the show to talk about it. Nice to speak to you about it, you know, and share my experiences. And I hope um, people who, especially visitors who come to North Devon, will go out and not just drive across Exmoor, but get their walking boots on and get out and see the animals close up because it's the most fantastic place it really is well we're further on during the day at the north devon show and i'm now joined by alex who um, had a remarkable encounter in uh, exmoor a few years ago alex will tell us all about it and we'll chat further about um, whether that is representative or not of how these animals behave but alex thanks very much for coming along please tell us all about what happened to you well it was uh, christmas eve on 19 19- in 1985 and my friend bob and i went to the Luttrell Arms in Dunster so we could experience a traditional Christmas uh, with mince pies and the Salvation Army band, you know. And I hadn't had anything to drink, by the way, any alcohol. And we decided to drive back to Taunton over the Brendan Hills because it was more interesting than just going back down the A358. And when we got to the top of the hill, Croydon Hill, it was amazing because there was a great gale blowing and we thought, let's get out and experience this gale. So we got out of the vehicle and we stood shouting in the wind, you know, and watching the trees bending and we were shouting, Merry Christmas, everyone. And of course, there was nobody there, but we were just having a bit of fun. But a shocking thing happened because just after we'd been shouting Happy Christmas or Merry Christmas, I turned round and there was a black panther behind us and it was creeping up on us it was really low down and you know it was coming towards us with intent as far as I was concerned I, I could see it and it was it was scary I mean can you know can you imagine that 
my friend got a cigarette lighter out of his pocket and, and said, fire, fire, fire. And the thing got up and bounded off into the undergrowth. Uh, it was incredible. And as, as it was actually creeping towards us, I actually said to my friend, look at that. What's that? That wasn't there just, just now. <clears throat> what was your emotion? Were you truly frightened or was it other emotions? Or Well, I was actually frightened because I was aware that the Royal Marines had been out looking for a large black cat. And so when I saw this black cat creeping towards us, and by the way, there was no doubt about what it was. It was definitely a large black cat. I'd say it was a black panther. There's no doubt about it. I, I immediately thought, you know, that's the beast of Exmoor. So uh, in those few seconds, I was scared. But it was a shock. Can you can you describe what you sort of took in about it? What how would you sort of um, its key features and its movement and behaviour? It had powerful shoulders. It was edging towards us, and it's it was just down really low. It looked like its ears were were down low, and it was just fixing its gaze upon us. This thing had intent. It, it was coming towards us for a purpose, and that's what struck me and my friend. Um, and he was, he, you know, he, he took a, f- a few moments just to get his cigarette lighter out of his pocket and ignite it. But I just thank God we turned around when we did because um, it was pretty close shave. Mm. Um, what sort of scale would you say it was? It was very large. I went to see the uh, Black Panther at Exmoor Zoo called Zoiza and I couldn't really see any difference in the size. So it was a very large black panther yeah so a full-on adult possibly male that's what it looked like to me i mean it was such a shock i mean I'd, i was aware of all these reports about the beast of exmoor and all the sheep being killed and everything but when you're on your way home uh, on christmas eve you don't really sort of expect to see a black panther right behind you do you incredible do you honestly think it would have taken on you the two of you to, and, and sort of had a go at you i do i think that if we hadn't turned around it would have been a different story. It, this is, you know, very unusual as far as we know. Um, can you explain? Can you think of a, a justification for it? We were making quite a lot of noise, shouting "Merry Christmas" and laughing. And most most wild animals wouldn't wouldn't come anywhere near you if you were doing that because they'd be frightened off by the noise. But this thing wasn't frightened by the noise. It may have been attracted because of that. In fact, how close did it get? Do you think? It was at least 12 feet wow. behind us. So. You, saw, you saw its eyes very yeah, well. Yeah, I could then. see its face clearly. There was no doubt about it. And it was, it was just outside a forestry gate on a sort of um, open area with gravel. So there, was, there were no plants there or anything like that. You could see its face. You could see its body very clearly. And you could see it in the moonlight. Um, 100%, I'm 100% certain it was a black panther. I have no doubt whatsoever. My friend would say the same. Yeah. Well, did it traumatise you at all for the afterwards for a while? Uh, no, but when, when we returned, well, we walked back to the, quickly to the camper van. And as I was opening the door, my hand was actually shaking. So that shows you that I was shocked. And my friend dropped a brand new scarf and as we got in the vehicle and turned on, turned on the engine and drove away, my friend said, I've, I've dropped my scarf. And we looked at each other and he said, I'm not going to go back and get it. So, you know, it was a shocking experience, Rick. You know, yeah. I mean, I know it's an unusual experience. And I'm not saying that they're all out there trying to sort of um, stalk people. But we experienced something very scary and very real. And I'll always remember it. Yeah. And and have you felt a sort of almost a public duty to um, bring that to attention as a result of, you know, your experience? Definitely. I think that it's right that people are made aware of the fact that big cats are living in Great Britain. There have been many, many reports. And the public need to know that they're out there. And, you know, there is a risk. Um, mm. There is There is always going to be an element of risk with large predatory cats but i don't sort of go out there trying to sort of scare people i just think that um in the main these cats are keeping themselves to themselves but having been through an experience like that then you know it's given me a bit of an edge and i sort of i'm aware of the danger factor as well yeah 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 and that we shouldn't be complacent we shouldn't talk about them as absolutely zero risk no not at all 
And in fact, when I go through the woods uh, walking with my dog, um, I, I often think that it's highly likely, or well, it's possible that there could be a, a cat in the area. And, you know, when I'm walking through um, areas with overhanging trees, I do look up mm. and just check some of the branches. Mm. I mean, who who would have thought it? You know, you know, most people don't have a clue that big cats are living in Great Britain, and we're used to knowing that there are badgers and foxes and deer, and and moles and and rabbits and things. You know, in the countryside. Um, but when you actually realise that there are big cats living in Britain, it um, it changes everything. I mean, I'd, I'd never sort of recommend people going out to uh, sleep in a wood, you know, or anything like that, mm. having experienced what I experienced. Yeah. How how quickly did it turn and retreat uh, when you sort of um, decided to cause a commotion? Well, as soon as it saw the flame from my friend's cigarette lighter, it, it got up, and that's when I saw its full height, and it bounded off, and I was struck by the size of its tail. It had an enormous tail, and it ran off into the undergrowth. It was a powerful animal. I don't think there's a dog in England that would dare to take on uh, what we saw. Even a huge mastiff would be scared. You don't think there's any reason for thinking it was just curious and observing you closely, thinking, what are those two uh, upright sort of apes doing, calling into the wind? (laughs) You think we look like apes, do you? (laughs) No, I, I really don't think there's any reason to believe that it was just curious because of the way it was creeping towards us, edging towards us, really low down i believe that it was stalking us and it was ready to pounce it didn't look curious it looked mean threatening <laughs> yeah yeah and um but i you know when i went to exmoor zoo and i saw zoiza the leopard i thought he was delightful I, he's very he's very friendly towards uh, the photographer john who's got a sort of rapport with him. rapport with it and and it was great. It was lying on its on its back, and he was talking to it. Um, and it was really nice for me to actually see uh, a black panther looking like that. And I have no sort of sort of ill feelings towards the the uh, one I saw. I mean, it may well have gone on by now, but um, of course, many years later. Mm-hmm. But I didn't actually report it the next day because I actually felt sorry for it. I knew that the Royal Marines had been out looking for a big cat on Exmoor. I think about 400 sheep were killed before the um, Royal Marines were invited in. Um, but I didn't sort of want to see it shot, even though I'd had a close encounter with it. Uh, my, my thought was not to sort of see it killed. And I still feel the same now. I did eventually report it. It was in the paper, but that was months later. It was in the Somerset County Gazette. Mm. I think the headline was, I was stalked by the Beast of Exmoor, says Taunton Man. Mm. <laughs> but... Uh, I think that I think that the, the, the public need to be aware that there is a population of big cats, and it's great to to go around with you sometimes to your tent, Rick, and chat to people, and let people find out the facts about big cats in Britain. Mm. But we certainly don't want to do sort of scaremongering, and and I don't think the answer is to go out there with with sort of bloodhounds and men with rifles. You know, I think that th- this all has to, you know if there's a report of a, a cat. Um, it needs to be monitored. It needs to be looked into. If it's misbehaving. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if the, there's a, a, a real danger to the public. But um, from the amount of uh, reports I get sent to me, because I have a website, yeah, it's obvious that there, there are many out there. I, I suspect that there could be several hundred yeah. um, breeding yeah. Well, and of course, with that's a, a sort of ongoing consideration we'll have through the series of podcasts. And, and th- you know, what is that bigger picture? Are they naturalizing? Are they a stable, possibly growing population? Um, is there any inbreeding or have they, yeah. have they outdone the inbreeding and are healthy and genetically strong? It's a very interesting question. But I mean, you know, Rick, that you've had reports of mothers with cubs. Mm. You've written out that experience in full for people to read, haven't you, on the website? Yes, I have. It's on there. And so people can can look at that. I mean, we ask everybody this question, and there's no right or wrong. It's whatever you feel. Your own personal views about big cats being out in in Britain. You've sort of hinted of some of the issues, but what you know personally, do you think it's good, bad, indifferent? It all depends, or what? Well, it makes um, it makes walking around in Britain a bit more exciting <laughs> in some ways. But 
Um, there is a risk factor that wasn't really there before in recent history. And, you know, people need to be aware about this. You know, it's no good just pushing it under the carpet and, and trying to pretend it doesn't exist uh, as an issue. I think that, you know, the fact is they are here and we've got to accept that. I mean, I think that if they tried to hunt down every big cat in England, it would just be almost impossible task with all the railway um, tunnels and culverts and caves and things like that. And they're so elusive, aren't they? Mm. I mean, yeah. So and not all landowners would allow it to happen, no, <laughs> from my no, experience, um, from the feedback to so me. People need to be aware. They need to keep their wits about them. And so education is very important. And so that's why I'm so interested in your work, Rick, because I know you do great work to let people um, become aware about big cats in Britain. Mm. And you do a really good job. But it's a two-way process, as you know. You've, you've been at many stores with me. We only know what we do largely through other people t- uh, relaying their stories and encounters to us. That's right. Putting it all together. That's yeah. right. Um, Which is, again, the, what the podcast will help with as well. Mm. And it's always so interesting to hear all the different reports. Uh, you know, they're varied, aren't they? And quite often people see them crossing roads and leaping over hedges. And even the police have come over and sort of told us about their sightings. Mm. And we've had some of those trapped in a road and leaping away over a hedge to the, to the shock of the, of the driver today. We've had two of those today. Well, there we are. Exmoor is a particularly good area, I think, for um, habitat for big cats. And it's not hard to imagine these big cats living there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure. Now, Alex has just explained a really frightening close-up encounter. And you can judge for yourself what you feel about that. It's very important that we do consider all types of encounters and sightings of big cats. What I want to emphasise is that... The day after I interviewed Alex at the North Devon show, I was at a piece of utility land in Devon where I was invited to come along and set up cameras and speak to people who work there because two of the workers there had experienced a sandy brown puma type cat, one of them really up close. The guy said he was checking the perimeter fence. He didn't realise he was standing there for about a minute and a big cat, and he was sure it was a puma. He described it just like the mountain lion. He saw the hindquarters and the long tail as it shot away because he was disturbing it as it was resting in the scrub where he had just come along. He said he could really feel the weight and the vibration of it as it shot away, and he was truly scared. But it went in a different direction from where he was standing and left him alone. During the North Devon show itself... Amongst the visitors to my big cat information stand was a farmer in North Devon who said he'd not seen a big cat himself, but he'd arrived on the scene two minutes after one of his workers was knocked to the ground by a fleeing big cat, a black panther, that seemed to be stuck in the barn. His worker had opened the door and it had shot out past him, escaping, not trying to attack him, but just passing him at speed and knocking him to the floor. So people do experience different types of situations close up to big cats, it seems, and we must judge for ourselves what the behaviour and the intent is of the cats at that time. Okay, well, we're keeping the Exmoor theme going with our next guest, uh, and we're joined by Endymion, who is based in Barnstable, and Endymion is, amongst other things, an illustrator, And those of you who see Exmoor magazine will be familiar with her natural history colour illustrations in that magazine. And Endymion is a long-term friend of Trevor Beer, who is somebody we're going to pay tribute to in this next session. And Trevor died at the age of 80 in 2017, and he was one of the founding fathers of Big Cat sort of work and writing in Britain. He was involved in looking into the Beast of Exmoor mystery and and following up sightings and investigations and taking reports. Trevor wrote several books on natural history and wrote in local newspaper columns on the subject. So he was well known regionally as a very good naturalist, but also as somebody who took a keen interest in Big Cat reports. The two books um, that mark him out on Big Cat issues are one called The Exmoor Beast Fact or Fiction and another 
called Merlin, Tales of a West Country Leopard. And Dimian is going to talk about um, what she learnt from her friendship with Trevor about big cats. But we're also going to talk about her own sighting because you've had a couple of um, encounters with big cats, Dimian, haven't you? And uh, the first one and the best one, you think, was it was a lynx. So it'd be good to hear all about that, please. Yes, the lynx was up on Exmoor. We were with a party of field trippers. We were, we were on a natural history expedition, as it were. And uh, there was quite a group of us. And we happened to notice something moving in the distance and it looked sort of fox colored but everyone agreed that it was something out of the norm um and it had ear tufts and a tail all erect like it was on a bumper car and then as it moved the tail went down and it just seemed to melt into the bracken because it was moving through the bracken so you really saw the back the top of it and and the, the tail of it as it disappeared um and everyone agreed it was the lynx the ear tufts giving it away Wow. Do you think you'd flushed it out or it was sort of moving through at a similar time you were there? What? Why do you think it was sort of visible to you at that time? I think it was partly co- coincidental that we happened to be there at the time. Probably it was aware of our presence. We weren't close enough to be any threat to it. So it moved out of the way further into the undergrowth to avoid us, to you know, avoid contact with, with humans. Um, and po- possibly it was on the hunt for rabbits or something like that. Mm. There are plenty in the hedgerow, of course, up there. How did you know it was a lynx and not a fox or a deer or something? Um, it was bigger than a fox and the ear tufts gave it away. Okay. I think the ear tufts predominantly. I guess any, any sort of mottling or or small stripes which lynx can have would have been too far away we to determine. We couldn't see that because we could only see the top, the ear tufts, the top of the back and then the tail which was erect like a bumper car and then it, the tail went down and it kind of disappeared into mm. the undergrowth. So you couldn't really see anything other than the top of it and you knew it just felt very different. Well, thank you for that one. Let's get back to black panthers and pumas on Exmoor and um, Trevor's work. Now, I gather you were at school when Trevor's book on the Beast of Exmoor came out and what kind of influence did it have and what kind of attention did it get uh, in those days? That's right. I was at primary school when I first heard about it all. It had been um, in the 80s and the first thing I can remember was a picture on the front cover of the North Devon Gazette of an illustration of a a beast-like animal and um, it was quite spectacular and there was a lot of media hype about some of the sightings. And we had a teacher called Mrs. Westercott and she'd brought in one of Trevor's books. And it's the first time I'd heard anything about the Exmoor Beast and we were all absolutely enthralled and fascinated by it. And she explained that um, it was, you know, uh, probably a big cat escaped up on Exmoor because she'd read the book and she told us all about the author and all about the book and and we were very interested. And the next thing I knew, I had a, a... I was working with the theatre. Um, I had a, a special licence to be off school for just for a couple of weeks. And I'd gone into where my mother had worked and I met Trevor Beer and he was selling his books in the shop and he had brought a lot of animals because he had um, uh, an exhibition that he was doing. And I just happened to bump into him and I was introduced and that was the first time that I'd met him. How interesting that a school teacher introduced you to the book and wasn't sort of wasn't worried about shrugging it off but actually thought the kids should learn about it. I think it was a lovely thing to do because with all the media hype nobody really knew what was going on and it left a lot of questions and she sort of calmed down the situation and um, made it really fascinating by explaining it properly to us. Okay so you then became aware of the reports that Trevor was getting and the way he would follow reports up um can you give give us a a couple of examples of 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 that because he did have several encounters himself didn't he yes he did he um traveled exmoor and he used to follow up investigations and things like that um i used to file reports for him it was one of the first things i did on work experience i I was sent back to him to to do a week's or couple of weeks work experience with him from schools and colleges um because of the work that we were doing but his investigations were quite thorough. He, he was a bit of a Sherlock Holmes, if you like. He liked to do it properly and look at tracks and signs and make proper records and take photographic evidence as well. And in those days, of course, there was no digital photography. Um, if there was anything on the move, it was potluck as to whether you got it. And you had to wait for your film to come back as slides, as transparencies, to see what you actually had. So it's quite exciting. Mm. 
And now I follow up reports routinely and I never expect to see a cat. I mean, I've been lucky enough to have one very good sighting in the past, but um, I think you're going to be extremely lucky uh, to see a cat. And But he followed some up and he actually did see them. Is that right? Yes, he did. I think one of the best sightings he had was up on Exmoor. Um, and what he learned was that they were hunting rabbits. There were a lot of talk about sheep kills and things like that and he'd been plotting um, the movements of the cat on a map to get some idea of how the animal was living and, and to sort of understand some of the natural history behind it and they were definitely following sort of the deer at some t- some of the time wherever the deer were going seasonally the cats seemed to follow but this one was was hunting rabbits and I suppose it makes sense because they're easier probably to catch than, than a deer but it was quite happy deer all around sheep all around and it was hunting rabbits mm. and uh, I remember him being quite interested in that because all the reports thus far had been of, of sheep kills and what have you. Yes, and of course we're talking about red deer, aren't we? Yes, red deer up on Exmoor. And they will migrate through through the seasons, so cats may well ebb and flow uh, with that, with their main prey source perhaps, yeah. Yes, up on the moors um, for the rut, um, and then as the weather becomes colder they go down to the lower lying areas, lie up in woods uh, for shelter. Mm. And I gather, like many of us, Trevor was fairly wary of who he told about where about sort of sightings and where he was going and where he got his information because he was concerned about uh, trophy hunters or people visiting areas for the wrong reasons following up big cat stories so he was careful partly for the the protection of the cats but also if you have people going out trying to shoot an animal and they happen to injure it then you've got another sort of animal on your hands and it could become you know a dangerous situation but he always said if the cats are left alone they don't cause people any harm and he knew of um farmers that had them living on the land that were perfectly happy to have them there Mm. what was his view on the main origins did he think they were trophy pets released largely well at first um he started out as a skeptic because of all the media hype and all the rest of it and then he decided he would investigate because of the reports so because he was a nature columnist he asked his readers for uh, sightings to gather evidence and information and it coincided with a national report of a huge black cat in Scotland having been killed in a fox snare. And we heard that Di Francis had gone up to Scotland to investigate. She's a South Devon lady, author of Cat Country. Um, he was also in touch with Nigel Brearley. Uh, Nigel wanted to trap the cats for, for evidence that, that they existed. Um, and as the reports came in, he found that a lot of people that had been attached emotionally to their animals, their pets, had released those animals up onto the moors when the Dangerous Animals Act came in. I think it was about 1976. Um, and they couldn't afford the licenses, so they let them go. Um, he had footage of, you know, video of people with cats as pets. As big cats, like black leopards as pets. And puma, yeah. yes. And some escapes from zoos and and situations like that. So where they were able to meet up, it's probable that there were offspring. We know that if the cats are of different species, that offspring will be infertile. But there's nothing to say that, you know, two black cats couldn't have um, had young. Mm. So he, he felt he had direct evidence that trophy pets were being had been released. Yes, he did, firsthand from the owners that had released them. Very interesting. And that was in Devon and around... Yes, several in North Devon. Okay. His, some of his encounters, did you hear directly soon after he had an encounter? Of, of Did you pick up his emotion and get, get his sort of first-hand reports? What were they like? I always remember when he saw the black cat down in the valley at the bottom of his sanctuary. He said it was the feeling of the animal, the sort of hairs on the back of your neck sort of stand up a bit and you get chills. And it was just 
the presence of this amazing, beautiful creature, and then it would just disappear, and you'd think, oh, where did it go? (laughs) It'd disappear into the woods, you know. But it does bring home the fact that we really don't know all the species that we have in Britain, uh, or, you know, certainly not all over the world, when we're still discovering new tiny little insect species and new moths and things like that. And we have something quite amazing, like these cats out there in the wild now. Obviously, they must be breeding, because they're they're seen uh, farther afield uh, now as well we need to do much more natural history research and it's amazing to discover all these wonderful secrets how interesting that trevor acquired a bit of land that he called his sanctuary which was a bit of a nature haven and he actually saw one from there that's that's it was right down in a valley because um, his haven was uh, a little island, if you like, within a farmland. So he was in close contact with the farmers there um, as well. So it was very, very private, very secluded. And you had wonderful views down over the valley. And he saw the cat coming down over the fields, down into the bottom of the valley. And then it turned off and followed it along. So we weren't sure if it was coming up into the woods, um, but it was just, it was incredible. And he was so excited to see it. Uh, but far enough away not to be yes. um, <laughs> too scared as well. Yeah. 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 Okay, now, Trevor was a very good self-taught artist, uh, and you are indeed as well, and um, you sort of learnt the ropes through through him. Can you tell us a bit about his natural history artwork and then his, his um, when, when he did Cats, what was his inspiration and what was his techniques and things? His inspiration was natural history and all the field trips and explorations he had throughout the countryside. And he would draw from memory or he would sit in the field and draw, but it was all hand done. Um, he would sometimes do watercolour or pen and ink, um, sometimes line and wash and occasionally acrylic. So he had a varied uh, range of medium that he could use. My favourites were his pen and inks, they were very detailed, but he was always the teacher, I feel. When he wrote an article, he could paint pictures with his words, and when he did an illustration or a beautiful picture, he was telling you this is... This is a species and this is the habitat in which it lives and this is the sort of area that you would have to go to find it. So he was teaching all the time about natural history and telling us, you know, we need to be close to our roots because that's good and it's healthy and um, we should look after all the species Mm. on this earth as well. And some of his work is quite deliberately quite ethereal, isn't it? Quite sort of got that sense of the sort of ancient celtic wildwood of britain and i guess that was very deliberate not all of that work not all of his work has that treatment yes he did a lot of folklore um he used to write about folklore but, and he used a lot in his um pictures as well which were quite popular and i remember the, the black cat that he painted silhouetted against the moon i know that's living down in cornwall now <laughs> with a, a lady who fell in love with the picture but he sold a lot of his pictures through exhibitions we did a traveling one called Penmaster, and i thought that was apt because he was a writer a nature writer books and articles and he used his pen to illustrate as well and it just seemed to fit at the time and he had a series of pictures all pewter framed and they went to Dartmoor, Exmoor and the Landmark Theatre and the Queen's Theatre and various places. It was a roving exhibition and Mm. that sold really well. Mm. So they were very popular. And I know you do big cats um, a bit in illustrations. I've heard from uh, another artist that doing black panthers, black leopards... Well, I suppose any black cat, it's actually quite a challenge to to get the texture and feel to it. Is that right? Yes, um, there's different things you can use. You can, you can smudge with your thumb if you're using paint or something like that. I cheat. I, th- I consider it to be cheating because I do a lot of my work by pen, partly because I illustrate things rather than pictures. So I've only just started to do pictures but Trevor taught me to illustrate um he said to illustrate my first book you see um and that's what got me going I said Mm. I can't do that he said yes you can have a go so I started um and I found that if I use pen and ink I have a black and white version Mm. and then I can watercolor it and have um a colored version (laughs) Tigger's joining in the conversation you can probably hear him because you never quite know what's going to be published so if I've got both ready then uh that, that's okay. easier and I yeah. build up a library then of images yes now tell us about one of my favorite books 
Bod the Beast of Bodmin Moor, the cartoon character? Oh gosh, that was... Um, it wasn't going to be a book. It was actually a cartoon strip in a newsletter I had produced for Colliford Lake Park and when I was working down there. And it got sort of popular and I, I did sort of a, a few. And then it, the bug sort of bit me and I kept drawing them. Tell us a bit about what Bod, uh, Bod did in his travels. Um, he's basically exploring the countryside um, as a wildcat that's been released in Britain. So he doesn't know about the British way. So it's a bit of a play on words and things like that. And then he meets men, a, com- a companion, um, and they go about the countryside discovering natural history and things like that. But I did it because I wanted the empathy behind the big cats, because if they have been released into the countryside, it's not their fault that they're here. They're here because we all put them there um so we shouldn't persecute them we should just kind of work with it and see what we can do to to make it all work because mm. they're part of our biodiversity now and that leads us on to the final question what do you think about big cats living in the wild in britain i think it's an incredible situation but i still think it does prove that we really don't know what we have on our own doorsteps uh, in the countryside And we should study natural history a lot more um, because we're still discovering new species, which is wonderful. Okay, And Demian, I want to thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming on the show and um, paying tribute to Trevor and uh, talking about your own work. He's very much missed. He was a great teacher and a, a wonderful friend. Thank you very much. Okay, that wraps up our brief tour of Exmoor. But we will return to that area of North Devon and Somerset in a future episode. We'll return to Exmoor Zoo and learn more about the black leopards and pumas there. We'll hear about the work of the late Nigel Brierley, who helped farmers to assess their sheep carcasses in the 80s. And he even tried to set up traps with some farmers to see if they could actually get a big cat up close to learn about. We'll also hear from a young documentary maker who had an amazing sighting of a big cat trapped in the road in front of his car and that inspired him to make a programme about the big cats of Britain. Next episode, we hear in depth from Frank Tunbridge who works in and around Gloucestershire. We'll hear about his own encounters and hear about the reports he receives. So thanks for listening and join us next time.